Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 116 being recorded on Thursday, February 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, Jason, it's been a busy week, not only in e-commerce land, but... uh you know, you have it there in your your uh, nickname. Uh, it has probably been the best week in 40 years plus uh, that I can think of to be a geek. So we're going to mix in some of the exciting nerdy news this week as well with the e-commerce news. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, I think you did a recent trip uh, that I think warrants a trip report. I did. I was just in Boston. I just got back a few hours ago uh, and earlier in the week. Uh, I spoke at an e-commerce conference that's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology E-Commerce Summit, um, which I don't think is affiliated with MIT. I think it's a local uh, uh, trade organization, um, but got to run into a lot of uh, former Jason and Scott show guests at the event we're also speaking. So that was kind of fun. Oh, I thought you were going to say listeners. I was going to say what? We don't lose listeners. Uh, and and listeners. Uh, yeah. So there were no. There's no such thing as a former listener, of course. Yes. Uh, Rob Schmoltz from uh, uh, Talbots was uh, leading one of the panels, and uh, Rob Garth, who was recently on the show from uh, Salesforce, was on one of the panels. So it was fun to uh, catch up with both of them. Um, and there were uh, a number of uh, good speakers. Uh, uh, a guy I interact with on Twitter a lot, Steve Dennis, who is a longtime retail exec at JCPenney's and Neiman Marcus, um, was there. And uh, I got to talk to folks about uh, artificial intelligence and its impact on retail. Nice. Very cool. Any other – what were some of the other hot topics with that crowd? Uh, yeah, so it was interesting. There were a lot of the speakers were talking. It was kind of like brick and mortar bites back, and there was a lot of talk about omni-channel and some of the advantages of um, brick and mortar. Um, and I found that was, I guess, slightly ironic because the the event was hosted by Wayfair, so we were actually in Wayfair's office. So we're in one of the the uh, what I would have said is one of the tr- you know few remaining kind of pure play e-commerce companies, although they now have a, a physical showroom as well, I'm pretty sure. Interesting. So you're inside of a pure play uh, trash talking uh, exactly. pure place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I in my slide, in my deck, I talked about some of the cool artificial intelligence things that House was doing. I felt a little awkward um, talking about that in front of them, but they were very, very, very kind. Uh, box was the CMO box gave a cool presentation. So it was, it was a good group uh, and there was a lot of interaction with the audience. So uh, there were, I was the last speaker of the day right before cocktail hour and still got a bunch of uh, good engaging questions. So it was a lot of fun. Did you do the whole, well, I feel like I'm between you and cocktails. Uh, I did a version of that. The, the, uh, the speaker right before me um, uh, from box uh, made a bunch of blockbuster jokes uh, and Ooh. as as careful mm. listeners might know, uh, I, I was involved in the early days of Blockbuster. So I, I actually had to do a little bit of a rebuttal uh, to Jackson, who was kind of throwing me under the bus a little bit there. Nice. I I feel, like, was, it's uh, advantage to get the mic last, though. Let me just say that. Absolutely. I feel like that, yes. that worked in my favor. Um, and then a woman who I hadn't met before, uh, Devorah Rogers, is with a company called Murphy Research. Um, and she did a cool thing on sort of omni-channel paths to purchase. And part of the reason I found her stuff really interesting is she was involved at Google a number of years ago when Google was developing out a concept uh, that we use and talk about all the time called the zero moment of truth and kind of helping to measure online to offline attribution. Um, and so it was, uh, uh, I found her, her presentation particularly interesting. Awesome. Well, the other big event since our last show was the big game. 
uh, I guess we'd call it Super Bowl. We're going to break all the rules and we'll call it the Super Bowl. Um, and ironically for me, Super Bowl kicked off what I'm calling now Geek Week. So the uh, before we get into the digital aspect of Super Bowl, let's cover the geeky side. So, um, you know, it started off for me. There was a great Doritos Mountain Dew commercial that featured, um, you know, uh, the the cast of one of the cast members from Game of Thrones. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, and then uh, we got two movie premieres that were somewhat surprises: so a movie premiere and a TV show premiere. So uh, we had Westworld season two. Their first kind of promotion came out, um, and then uh, a big surprise for Star Wars fans. Solo, a Star Wars movie, um, was uh, premiered. They did a teaser, a teaser teaser, I guess they called yeah, it. a teaser uh, of the then, trailer. A teaser, no, it was a teaser of the teaser, actually. And then they're still calling the one that, and then the Monday after the Super Bowl uh, on Good Morning America, they released the full teaser. So it was a 45 one, uh, 45 second one during the Super Bowl. And then it was like a 60 to 70 second one uh, on Monday. And they're actually different, but they're actually both called a pre teaser and a teaser. They're actually not the trailer yet. So that was exciting. We got to see some, um, you know, uh, the you know Millennium Falcon. I don't want to do any spoilers in case anyone's super spoiler free. But uh, as a Star Wars fan, uh, it's an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. There's a lot of content coming out. Yeah, and there hadn't been any imagery from that movie out yet, right? So that, this is the first look anyone got. Yeah, Ron Howard has done a little bit of tweeting, but they've been kind of like, you know, really hard to parse and not exactly sure what's going on. So this was really nice to kind of – there was a lot of concern around the movie because they uh, – the guys that did the Lego movie were originally brought in and then they kind of famously got fired and were hiding out in the Millennium Falcon and someone had to go in and like remove them from the set. So so, so it seemed like uh, you know it, it was kind of a restart there in the middle and that's never – good you're not sure you know what how how much of a restart there had to be but um things are looking up looks like ron howard came in kind of was the adult and seems to have gotten it straightened up um i'm really excited to see donald glover as lando calrissian that's gonna be really cool he's a a great actor and a rapper so it's gonna be interesting to see see how that works up and i I feel like the consensus was that he stole the teasers yeah, yeah, he's got kind of like a '70s kind of outfit going. Like, and uh, he's a big Prince fan too, uh, Donald Glover. So it had kind of like a Jimi Hendrix Prince vibe kind of thing going, which was which was pretty pretty nice. awesome. And I meant to ask, was it known that there was going to be a teaser in the Super Bowl, or was that a complete surprise? Uh, there were rumors. Um, and then the day before someone, uh, tweeted, this is like way in the weeds, but someone tweeted, uh, you know, that you need to actually publish a list of when the things are going to, someone inside of NBC, uh, leaked that there was going to be a solo trailer. So I knew it was coming. So I was glued to the TV. Nice. I like it. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I think in between all that, there was actually a football game. Yeah. 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 Let's, uh, who cares about that? Let's talk about uh, the digital ads. Yeah. Uh, who do you who do you think won the Super Bowl from a digital standpoint? Well, we we don't have to debate because there's an independent uh, judging organization put together by USA Today that like uh, sort of aggregates a bunch of critics, and uh, they they rated the the top ad of the Super Bowl um, was uh, the famous Hollywood actor Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah. Can can that even possible? Alexa lost her voice. Is that even possible? Uh, it it is, and uh, <laughs> that's his line. I know. Uh, and <laughs> I, I love it when the lady's like, "We've got to fix." He's like, "Is it gonna? Do you feel good about it?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I I think that was like the best acting in the whole of all the commercials. With the where's the people's reaction to his? Is that even possible? And you can imagine there were thousands of Amazon employees that all wanted to play that scene because they probably had been in a similar situation. Yeah, I don't think it was as nice as that. No, probably, probably not. When that the the question mark email is what you would have actually gotten in the real world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, a a super inside baseball fun fact on that ad. So a it was a ninety second ad, which is you know it's it's five million bucks for every thirty seconds on the Super Bowl. So that's a quite expensive ad. Um, uh, you know, star studded with Anthony Hopkins and and uh, a bunch of folks. Uh, got the best reviews of all the ads and. You know, of course, it says Alexa a number of times during the ad. And so a concern you would have is that uh, with 100 million people watching the game, half of them probably own an Alexa that would get activated 
during the Super Bowl. Yeah. And how'd they stop that from happening, Jason? Yeah. So Amazon has some some cool technology. Um, and at first there was a lot of uh, speculation that like, oh, there's a way that they can kind of watermark the ad with some, you know, stuff outside of the human hearing range to kind of tell Alexa to ignore this audio. Um, and that's not what they do. They actually use artificial intelligence and um, they at the server when they see a bunch of Alexas all getting activated by the same audio at the same time in different households, they uh, then like start ignoring the that command. So a few households did respond to the ad and the rest of the households all ignored it. But that technology also means that like radio hosts and other things like that that are broadcasting to a lot of people um, can't can't trigger it. So, you know, because we have such a large listener base at the Jason and Scott show, you know, probably only your and my personal devices are the ones that would activate when we say Alexa. Yeah. The problem with that theory is not everyone listens to our show simultaneously. So oh, I can't believe you ruined my yeah. theory. <laughs> but think about, so if you put your computer science hat on that, that is really fast. So, so those words were all uttered simultaneously on in 110 million households. Uh, and then, you know, so Alexa records it, pings the server. It has to learn that, like, yeah, that's amazing how fast you're talking like, you know, you know, millisecond kind of AI kind of stuff. Hmm. It's, I mean, it's cool on a bunch of levels, but it just it makes me happy that that like some engineer got assigned the like that they even recognize that that's a problem that needed to be solved, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's also interesting to kind of take take a step back and. You know, some you know, 20 years ago, Amazon used to run just TV commercials during Christmas and they called them and it was these guys in sweaters singing Christmas carols uh, and they fit kind of famously. So I think those ran from like 98 to one. And they famously said, we're not going to do any more marketing, essentially, because we're going to put all our marketing dollars into free shipping. Um, and here we are, you know, uh, you know, 20 years later and let's see, you know. 20 years later and they're buying, you know, they're spending like 20 or 30 million bucks on Super Bowl ads. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was cool. And that was probably my favorite ad as well. And then there were a few other ads that had a, a sort of local uh, or a e-commerce uh, twist to them. A Groupon, I think had an ad. Mm -hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves was in the Squarespace ad. Did you see that? He's, he's riding a motorcycle uh, by standing on the seat. Yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. He started a motorcycle company, and I haven't dug into this, but I think he actually makes his own motorcycles. I know he builds some equipment, and uh, he was actually a Squarespace user, and they they detected this and approached him, and I think he's invested in the company, and and he's kind of like you know become their their ah. spokesperson. But it was actually you know through using the product and, and really enjoying enjoying the kind of the. They're kind of like a Wix competitor, so kind of a very small, you know, uh, you know, kind of even towards the lighter end of like a Shopify kind of solution. Um, so he's actually a user. And uh, another fun fact, he shot all those. There's one where he's just kind of sitting on the motorcycle, but there's another one where he's standing on the motorcycle. Uh, and he actually did that stunt live. Wow. That's yeah, that's uh, potentially uh, expensive slash risky. That was cool. Uh, so that's a little bit of a William Shatner-esque with uh, Priceline. Yeah. The the coolest one I saw was uh, – so Justin Timberlake did the halftime show, and it was controversial. We won't go into it. Um, when we came up, I'm a bit of a sneakerhead. I'm not near the sneakerhead of uh, a lot – a sneakerhead is someone that really likes uh, you know collectible sneakers. Um, as you can imagine, the ones I collect are Star Wars oriented. But uh, I did notice he was wearing some interesting shoes. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen those shoes. They looked like Air Jordans, but they were a really weird configuration. I, I, they're, they're clearly you know a Nike family kind of thing. Um, and then you posted an ad that revealed something pretty neat about that. Yeah, yeah. So he, he was, in fact, wearing a brand new Air Jordan that just debuted during the Super Bowl. Um, and what what's interesting to me is the only way to buy those the uh the that sneaker was direct from Nike through their their sort of new shoe portal um which has a, a specific URL and uh, Kevin Ertel is going to kick me for not remembering what it was um uh, but I'll put it in the show notes um 
But so the only way to buy the shoe was direct. And uh, not very long ago, whenever uh, Nike would launch a new shoe, you know, they would they would use their wholesale partners like Foot Locker to launch the shoe. So to me, it's another big step in the evolution of a lot of these brands, largely led by Nike, um, to really put, you know, significant emphasis on their direct to consumer efforts. Cool. So that's the that's what we saw at the Super Bowl, and that that really kicked off this Geek Week. Um, but before we go further, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. Cool. So before we get deep into Amazon news, um, Geek Week continued with the SpaceX launch of the Falcon Heavy. So this is uh, uh, longtime listeners will know I'm a bit of an Elon Musk fanboy. And so this was exciting. Uh, kind of one of the first, uh, you know, Elon launched the largest rocket to launch since I think Saturn V in the 70s. Um, and what this is, is they take three of their Falcon 9s, um, which uh, are called Falcon 9s because they have nine rockets and they strap them together. So that's 27 rockets. Uh, and, you know, Jason, you and I were talking about this earlier. We There's a lot of press that he was going to launch his first Tesla Roadster into space. We're like, okay, whatever. Um, but I think what, what a lot of us weren't prepared for was that there were, you know, a, they would blow off the top of the the payload element of the miss of the rocket, uh, and you would be you know the vehicle would be open to space, uh, and then they had mounted cameras on there. So it was this really spectacular. There's several things that are spectacular about this. Number A, the fact that it, the whole thing didn't explode, that we could do this is good. Uh, B, then in sequence, so that was really exciting to see it actually happening. Um, and then uh, part of the Falcon and SpaceX program is to reuse the. The, the the rockets. Um, so the two side rockets uh, peeled off first, uh, and then the core rocket continued going. And the way it was supposed to work is the two side rockets were supposed to land uh, back in Cape Canaveral, uh, and then the core would land on a uh, it's actually a robot uh, ship kind of a platform. Um, so the the two side rockets successfully landed, uh, and watching it live was really incredible because they landed simultaneously. It was like this space ballet is kind of the only thing I can think of. Um, and another thing that's neat is if you watch some of the other footages, uh, when these things come back, they're coming really, really fast and they create a sonic boom. Well, the sonic boom happened right when they landed, which was kind of cool. Like the time the sonic boom hit the, the folks observing is like right when they landed. So there's like this very dramatic, you know, they landed, turned off and then boom kind of thing. That was neat. Um, the only sad news is the centerpiece, the core, did not uh, make it landing. Uh, they're having a challenge with that one because it burned so much fuel and, you know, uh, atmospheric conditions can vary. It burned too much fuel getting the Tesla out into space. So it did not have enough fuel to come back. So it evidently had some kind of an epic splashdown. And they say there's going to be some good video on that. But then the the kind of the, uh, the ultimate ending of it was, you know, these live, there's like good four hour footage out there on YouTube, if you're interested, uh, of this Tesla just kind of spinning in space. And you're like looking at this Tesla and they put a mannequin in there in a spacesuit and they called him Spaceman. Um, the Tesla radio was tuned to, um, you know, uh, David Bowie uh, space song. And then, uh, you know, the Tesla would rotate around and you would see like the Earth kind of go right past it. And you could see like, you know, the Earth in the. Uh, the reflection of the paint and stuff. So it's, it was pretty amazing video coming off of that and just kind of, you know, really exciting kind of thing about space. So you may be wondering, what's the heck does this have to do with Amazon? Well, it actually, uh, 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 another billionaire that is a big listener of the show, Jeff Bezos, uh, he also has a space company and his is called Blue Origin. Uh, and he and Elon have been kind of like, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of a fair amount of animosity between the two companies. I think they've hired some people from each other. Uh, I know Elon always calls uh, Blue Origin BO, you know, uh, obviously uh, not intending it to be the acronym Blue Origin. Um, so it looks like these two kind of buried the hatchet with this because Bezos tweeted and said, uh, best of luck to SpaceX with the Falcon Heavy launch. Uh, this was the day before, hoping for a beautiful nominal flight. Uh, and then Elon said thanks. And then uh, after the rocket uh, was successful, uh, Bezos tweeted, "Woohoo, woohoo!" and uh, three rocket emojis. So, um, you know, as as far as Twitter can tell, it looks like these guys are best buds again. Yeah, and I mean, my fun two takeaways are that the richest guy in the world knows how to type emojis, 
which I think yeah. is cool. And then uh, you you mentioned the original rocket uh, is the Falcon. The the new rocket they launched uh, this week is the Falcon Heavy, and they're working on an even bigger rocket that uh, whose name makes me happy. It's the Big Falcon rocket, um, which they go just use the acronym BFR. Yep. Yes. Which could also stand for something else. Yeah, it's a, uh, so Elon is a video game player, and it's a nod to the famous uh, BFG in uh, the id Doom game. Exactly. Or was it Castle Wolfenstein? Uh, it's actually in, I think, in both. Ah, there you go. I think it uh, debuted in Doom, but it's uh, it's it's uh, had a role in many other games since. Cool. In other non-space Amazon news, uh, I wanted to get your reaction, Jason. There was a big Whole Foods announcement today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they announced that in four markets, they're going to be using Amazon Prime Now delivery service to deliver items from Whole Foods. So that means, uh, you know, you can order food and some fresh groceries from Amazon Now, but it's a, a limited assortment and it's coming from a, a Prime Now fulfillment center. Uh, in this new model, you're going to be able to order any of the products for sale in a Whole Foods store and that, that, uh, Prime Now uh, delivery guy is going to go to the store, pick up your order from that store, and bring it to your house. Very cool. Uh, and then uh, one thing I thought was really interesting uh, earlier uh, in the week, so uh, Amazon um, invited several sellers into a new program, and this leaked pretty quickly out there. Uh, I think I saw it on Bloomberg first. Uh, so Amazon's had a program called Seller Fulfilled prime eligible. Um, and then they shorten it to seller fulfilled prime. Um, there's some, the article got this wrong. I'm, I'm 90% sure. Uh, and listeners can correct me. So with seller fulfilled prime, you could use Amazon's rate card with the different carriers, but you had to do a relatively complex integration between your systems, uh, and uh, Amazon's so that you could kind of like, they could then route your things through. So a lot of people didn't do it because a lot of people are using, you know, either FedEx's or UPS's software, which obviously is not going to be changed so that you can get Amazon's rate. <laughs> uh, or they're using one of these intermediaries, like, you know, there's, there's a bazillion of these. There's like, and they all start with ships. So there's, uh, I guess there's stamps.com, but then you have like ship station, ship, uh, you probably know more than I do. Um, there's like 10 of them. Uh, and they haven't really been quick to support this either because because they tend to be um, you know integrated with USPS in some way and you know, all part of stamps.com now um, so uh, what Amazon's doing this next iteration of the program is called FBA on site and uh, it's it's kind of like it's seller fulfilled prime but what Amazon's doing is actually letting you use their entire warehouse system so so mm-hmm. what you do is you would now say okay it's super hard for me to integrate my warehouse system which is usually one of these these kind of things you pay for now I believe Amazon will give you their software for free effectively and it's pre-integrated to me that's kind of the nuance of what's going on there um, now the other kind of thing that's interesting about that is uh, one of these articles said uh, and let's see if I had the quote here it said Amazon is asking um, various shipping uh, integrators to include Amazon delivery as an option. So once if you can get all these, you know, some of these larger sellers using your back end, then that back end we know works with Amazon Flex, which is the prime. I think they use the same back end and many Flex drivers are now doing deliveries right out of fulfillment centers. So if you're using the same software that an Amazon fulfillment center is using and you're a third party, there's no reason you can't have a flex driver. So you could you could imagine it saying something like, "Okay, this uh, this third party seller is in Cincinnati um, and they got an order in New York, so that'll get routed. It, you know, the software will do its thing. Uh, the big Amazon brand in the cloud will spit out a UPS label because it'll say boop, 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 that's the best way to go. Um, or if it's an order in Cincinnati, it'll say, hmm, that's that would be really inefficient to, you know, send it to UPS and get it routed. Um, maybe it'll do USPS or maybe what it'll do is it'll say, you know, this is, this order makes sense, uh, to have a flex driver come to this warehouse and get it and take it somewhere. I'm speculating on that, but it seems like, you know, that, that is uh, a really interesting benefit of having a lot of these third party warehouses on the system. You could even like theoretically say, if you had enough people on the system, you could say, hey, do you have extra capacity? Why don't you become an FBA center? Um, because, you know, the same warehouse system that Amazon uses obviously can do first party product and FBA product. Uh, so that's another kind of your head kind of explodes when you start thinking about all the things that could happen if this gets a fair amount of uptake. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a kind of a common model that like when people are rolling out a new service in an industry, one of the ways to get a footprint is to give away the software that that industry needs. So there's a lot of um, uh, like like software to manage reservations in restaurants that people give away in order to you know um, support their their food delivery services or their, you know, online uh, reservation systems and things. Um, And so in a way, this is kind of that same play by Amazon. And, you know, what one of the important jobs that most of these shipping software do is sort of pick Beth's shipping method. And you can imagine that UPS, FedEx and Amazon's definition of best shipping method are not exactly the same. And so if if uh, Amazon's able to win a big footprint by giving away their their uh, uh warehouse software then then uh, that potentially gives them all kinds of competitive advantages in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're, you know, if you're FedEx and UPS, you don't want that to happen. So it's kind of just like what's your What's your counter move on that? So it's going to be really interesting to, to see how this plays out. Um, another thing I wanted to share with listeners, um, one of my one of my favorite analysts on Amazon is Colin Sebastian. And he, uh, being a super logistics geek, he actually goes – you can go to the airports and request some data on their freight uh, and how much freight has moved. Well, Amazon is at the Cincinnati airport, which is called CVG. Um, they are they have tons of fulfillment centers there, and they announced uh, about six months ago that they were going to build an air hub there. Uh, so kind of like you, I'm sure you, you know Memphis is a big FedEx hub, and then like Louisville uh, is the UPS hub, and they call it you know, World Hub or something like that. Uh, and this is where you know literally uh, all these planned planes come in at night. Uh, bring in packages, they get sorted, and the planes go out like five at five a.m. So they come in at midnight all, with the pack, inbound packages. They get sorted and they go back out in planes to kind of like you know um, do next day delivery of things. So Amazon has slowly but surely been building that infrastructure. So uh, he had an interesting report. So uh, when you look at the freight volume going through CVG, it increased thirty four percent in December and forty eight percent in November. Uh, we now know Amazon did thirty eight percent in Q four. So that's actually you know that midpoint is like pretty much spot on, which is pretty interesting there. Um, and then th- this didn't get a lot of press, but Amazon uh, is still in the planning phases of this. They've only been at it for four to six months, but it's a one and a half billion dollar project. It's going to support over hundred planes, 2,700 jobs uh, in a 3 million square foot facility. And then they kind of snuck in there that they're actually have decided they're going to buy 200 more acres kind of near CVG. So this, this thing they're building is going to be massive. Um, and this is the kind of infrastructure project that uh, when we talked about the Amazon's results show. This is one of the things that, you know, Amazon will take a bit of a hit on in Q1, Q2 of next year uh, as they start investing in this. But think about the capability it's going to give them next year. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that once they get this built out, Amazon could say, hey, everyone, guess what? Prime Prime is now one day delivery. Uh, and, you know, for, for like 90 percent of things, it would, it would be um, I think there's some esoteric heavy stuff that maybe not be included, but, but this will, in theory, they'll either get savings and, and keep those, but in more classic Amazon fashion, passing them on to consumers in the form of faster shipping. So it's going to be really interesting to watch that. And I think it's going to be pretty close to being built. So we will keep you posted on how that goes. Yeah. And of course the Cincinnati airport is home of Procter and Gamble. So, you know, a lot of folks are fly in and out of that airport to do business with those guys. And it's, it's crazy when you're in that airport and you look out the window and you see a line of prime air jets. Yeah. It must be a, uh, must be exciting for the PNG guys. Uh, exactly. <laughs> or, or every vendor in the world that, you know, has some, some reason to go visit them. Yeah. A couple quick hits on Amazon. Um, so at their, their uh, headquarters in Seattle, and I haven't had a chance, I've walked by these when they were being constructed, but they built these big biospheres and you may know more about this than I do, but they're, uh, there, there's a lot of really interesting, um, botanical things in there. So there's flowers from all kinds of different species, flowers and plants, uh, from all kinds of different species. They've hired a whole crew of people to, to kind of maintain these things. Um, so it's meant to be this like really interesting space for Amazon employees to get inspiration from. That's kind of like, you know, a biosphere that features, uh, um, you know, 
flora and fauna from uh, all continents and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's pretty neat. Um, they did, you know, we covered, we did a deep dive on the Amazon Go just walk out technology that we call JWAT, uh, and they have opened that up to the public. So that's interesting. Uh, and then uh, a couple other quick ones. Uh, when, when you kind of parse through their annual results, uh, Amazon now is by far the largest spender on R&D. So uh, that should scare everyone. Uh, and when I look at the list, it's like Amazon, Volkswagen, Alphabet. And then let's see. Nope, don't see any retailers on there. It's mostly car. <laughs> yeah, there's zero retail companies. It's, <laughs> it's it's predominantly been car companies, and then there's tech companies like IBM would you know tends to be in that top ten or top twenty. Yeah, and it looks like just eyeballing. It looks like uh, you know Amazon is now spending three times as much as IBM on R and D. So that is pretty crazy. One of the things coming out of the R&D is they've uh, – and, and I think this is in Europe. They have their own kind of QR codes now that they're using in print publications called Smile Codes. Um, so it has the Amazon Smile in the middle. If you've seen the Snapchat ghost kind of QR code, it's kind of like – it reminds me of that. So there's an Amazon Smile in there. Uh, you scan it with the Amazon app. You can't do this in the U.S. I've tried. Uh, and – oh, wait. No, I did try it. It worked. Uh, it took me a while to find where to get it. You have to go to the camera and then – double click the camera and then like it says what do you want to scan and down at the very bottom is a smile code um, so that's gonna be interesting to see if it jumps the pond over here uh, and then uh, amazon's private label is doing really well there's been some reports out from analysts that show they have some premium apparel items that are doing really well so a lot of folks kind of poo-pooed that they'd be able to do that but i i uh there's some jeans that have done really well yeah, and a couple other denim. things yeah so so that's interesting so i think private label gets kind of Amazon private label gets put in this, oh, it's cheap knockoff stuff uh, by a lot of people, but there's starting to be signs of success of some of the more more luxury private label items doing well. Uh, and then you tweeted something that was interesting. There was uh, another of these data sets out there that shows that more and more people are searching at Amazon versus uh, versus normal search engines. This one was 49% of searches started Amazon, and I think it was low 30s uh, use a traditional search engine like Google. Exactly. And that was Servata, which is actually the company that used to do the Bloomreach study. I just think Bloomreach didn't sponsor it this year. So essentially, it's this survey that people quote a lot. Um, and the the percentage of people using Amazon, you know, continues to go up, which is super interesting. I just like to remind people, it's actually not a very big survey. It's like 3000 consumers. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, take those specific numbers to the bank. But directionally, the fact that that more people, you know, are, are continuing to gravitate to Amazon to start product search, I certainly believe. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know if you saw it, but one guy kind of refuted your tweet or he like kind of had a counterpoint. Um, and he said, you know, I run SEM for a bunch of retailers and I don't see my clicks decreasing at all. They're going up. Um, and, you know, so both things can actually be true. So, uh, you know, the that I, I didn't tweet this, but I thought I would I would refute the refutation if that's a thing. And, you know, so the overall online usage is up because of mobile, um, you know, searches are up just because Google is always improving things and people are searching more. So searches can be up and they can still be losing share. It's just that Amazon is going to, you know, Google searches are growing at like 15 percent and Amazon, as we know, is growing 38 percent. So uh, they're, you know, if you kind of equate those things, then you could see that, you know, uh, a lot of that Amazon growth is coming from searches on Amazon. So it can uh, also be taking share while searches are growing. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, clicks or searches would be decreasing. For sure. Cool. How about um, anything else you want to cover on Amazon? And then I know there's a bunch of Walmart stuff you want to cover. Yeah, yeah, a few things uh, to hit on Walmart. Um, so they did another acquisition uh, this week or late last week, uh, which was uh, Spatial Land. Um, so that this is a company that specializes in VR technology, and they actually did the acquisition out of their incubator, which is called Store 8. So Store 8 was the original uh, prototype store that Sam Walton built, and so they uh, – Walmart.com and uh, Mark Laurie have kind of launched this incubator. And incubator is a little bit of a misnomer because uh, Walmart owns 100% of all the companies in the incubator. So essentially, they're buying companies or technologies and then incubating them in this 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 story uh, structure. So kind of interesting that they buy a VR company. A lot of us have talked about how... Uh, you know, VR isn't the most interesting technology for retail and commerce and that, you know, at least in the short run, 
There's much more likely to be traction with AR. Um, so either Walmart disagrees with me and sees a lot more upside to VR than I do, um, which is certainly possible, or uh, they're they're uh, making some very long term investments and and betting that in the in the long run there's enough people using VR that that Walmart wants to have some technology in in that game. So so that's an interesting acquisition. It'll be interesting to see what other companies uh, get rolled up into the to the story incubator structure. Um, another interesting thing that came out last month is that JD.com announced that they were going to be uh, coming to North America and selling direct to consumers. Um, so for folks that don't know, uh, JD is uh, the second largest e-commerce site in China. Uh, the largest site, Alibaba, is a pure marketplace. So, so you know, they're, they're all 3P sales. JD is a 1P um, retailer in China. And uh, so... And quite large, so it's very interesting that they're coming to the U.S. Uh, Walmart is a minority investor in them. And so, you know, one one scenario is uh, they're frenemies and JD is going to start uh, launch a major e-commerce site in the U.S. that would potentially compete with Walmart. Um, but there's been a lot of speculation that JD might launch a site in the U.S. and actually use Walmart's fulfillment uh, infrastructure uh, as their initial fulfillment uh, infrastructure in the U.S., so it could be a little bit more of a, a partnership model. Um, but however you slice it, uh, you know there aren't a lot of huge, well-funded new e-commerce sites that launch in the U.S. anymore. And so, you know, to me, it's going to be really exciting to see what they do and how you know they they tailor the experience for the North American audience, which, you know, user interfaces tend to be very different than the successful interfaces in China. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they have any, any new spin. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, you know, there's always been speculation Alibaba would come here in a more direct way and it'll be interesting to see if, you know, there's a lot of ifs here, but if, if JD is successful and uh, whatnot, then maybe that'll spur Alibaba to, to be more aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then another interesting partnership, Walmart and Rocketon uh, are doing a partnership that is uh, enabling Walmart to start selling digital downloads in the U.S. So that's a lot, uh, predominantly books, but I think some some video and other other media as well. And so uh, you're you're starting to see a lot of these like largest players in Asia um, partnering in the U.S. And you know a lot of companies that would you know, traditionally be competitors seems like are, are more willing to partner with each other, you know, uh, in the enemy of my, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, uh, theory. Uh, every, everybody seems to be willing to gang up to compete with Amazon. Ooh, Jason, a little Sun Tzu art of war. Very nice. Thanks, man. You know, I try. <laughs> Speaking of art of war and strategy, I, I actually, uh, forgot to ask you in the Amazon section. Um, so, uh, if they're doing two-hour delivery using the flex drivers out of Whole Foods, what's that mean for the Instacart relationship? And you you've, uh, you had some interesting insights I wanted everyone to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so there's a lot of conversation about this. Um, like, So today, Instacart does deliveries out of uh, uh, Whole Foods stores. Um, and there's, you know, it's generally believed that Instacart has some exclusive uh, contracts with Whole Foods to be the exclusive fresh deliverer in some some markets. So in the long run, you would imagine that that Amazon wants to deliver out of the entire Whole Foods network, um, which uh, on one hand is very bad news for Instacart. It means Instacart loses one of their best best uh, uh, supplier partners in Whole Foods. Um, and Amazon's either going to try to get out of these exclusive contracts or wait until they expire and replace them city by city. Um, the The flip side of this is if Amazon is successfully delivering in one or two hours, it's two hours for free, one hour if you're willing to pay seven ninety nine. Uh, if Amazon's delivering uh, in all of these markets, it puts more pressure on the rest of grocery to also have a good delivery service. And so while you know it's bad news for Instacart in terms of their future at Whole Foods, it potentially puts more pressure on other retailers who are more likely to hire Instacart to help them compete with Amazon. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. Uh, I've been, you know, pointing out there are all these nuanced details that are going to be fascinating to watch. Like the 
the Whole Foods inventory is not online right now. Like you can't go to a Whole Foods store and see everything that Whole Foods carries. And Amazon carries a small subset of the total Whole Foods offering. Um, so uh, companies like Instacart build their own product catalogs on behalf of their clients. So Instacart has a Whole Foods catalog. Whole Foods doesn't have a Whole Foods catalog that's public facing. And so it's going to be interesting to see if Amazon is building this store-by-store catalog that they're going to merchandise in each city. Um, if they're doing that, which it it seems like they are, uh, that's that means they've done a lot of infrastructure work since the acquisition. That's not trivial to do, and it definitely means that they aspire to scale this thing. So that's super interesting. Uh, another thing, they have a drone that just like zips through the store and does it in like five minutes. It well, you know, you figure that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like uh, we're or certainly seeing that for taking inventory. I'm not sure that those things are good enough yet to like make good PDPs for every single product that's in that store. But seriously, the the technology from Amazon Go would be helpful here, right? Oh, so they, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, and there, and you're joking, but there, there are a lot of artificial intelligence and, um, and computer vision technology that are being used to make it faster and easier to onboard new products for e-commerce sites, because that that's a big problem that a lot of, uh, of e-commerce sites faces. It's, it, it can be very expensive to create all this product content. Um, so be interesting to learn more about what Amazon's doing there and how fast they're going. Uh, but the other one, super interesting one's going to be pricing because Amazon is basically not charging for these deliveries, right? It's, it's part of your prime membership. It's, it's, uh, there's a, a threshold, which I think is $35, but you know, that's one item at whole foods. So you, uh, you, you get free delivery in two hours or you pay eight bucks for one hour, um, almost everybody that's doing fresh delivery is charging for it in one way or another. Fresh delivery is way more expensive than uh, Amazon's traditional model. When that that flex driver leaves a Prime Now fulfillment center, he's probably got like five or more orders in his car, and he drives from order to order. Uh, remember that driver's using his own personal vehicle, which doesn't have a refrigerator in it, right? So now when customers place Whole Foods orders – you probably can only take one, maybe two orders and deliver them because you can't have the perishable sitting in the unrefrigerated car for a long time. So delivery is much more expensive. What Instacart, Walmart, and a bunch of other people have done is they've said, hey, nobody likes paying a fee for delivery. So what we're actually going to do is subtly increase the prices versus the in-store prices. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see whether Amazon does that and, and the goods are more expensive when you get them delivered than they are if you buy them in the store. And once you do all these things, the other thing you would expect them to also do is offer a curbside pickup option that potentially would be cheaper. So, yeah, uh, one, uh, one kind of interesting observation on the, the cold stuff. Uh, so I order from prime now a lot and the last three or four deliveries I've had, they, they come in these, um, if you get things that need to be cold, they have these refrigerated pack kind of things. So they're, I'm sure you've seen them. Um, yeah. Uh, and, but what's interesting is the last couple I've gotten, the delivery person has like looked at a screen and then reached in and taken out like a thermometer thingy. Um, and then, and then input something. So it seems like Amazon's been doing a fair amount of, re and I asked them why they're doing that. And they're like, oh, they want to know how, you know, what temperature things are after when I deliver them, uh, to understand, you, you know, how well these refrigerator packs are working. So it almost feels like when I piece together what you said with what I've seen in the last three months, I, I think that they are, you know, they're probably pretty aware that that mix is going to go a lot more on the cold side and they're really trying to get that right. Yeah. But they do have a solution, which is those those refrigerator packy things. Yeah, they're trying to optimize that. But those refrigerator packy things are super expensive, and they're not charging for those either, right? So, so oh, er, er, everything has, Amazon, come on, has some cost associated with it. And what I think you're going to find, like the unit economics, whether you're Amazon or not, are going to work out that Amazon's going to be more efficient than most other folks, and they're going to be able to cost effectively do this in dense markets. So they're going to be able to deliver enough stuff in Chicago to make it work. Um, but it's going to be next to impossible to make that model work in uh, less dense, uh, further drive, uh, uh, you know, uh, rural rural areas. Um and so it's going to be interesting to see if they try to scale that everywhere or they try to pick and choose the markets or, you know, if they subsidize the rural markets, but, uh, and how, you know, 
how all that plays out. Um, th- this is the first shot across the bow. This is really like one of the first first steps we've seen uh, of Amazon, you know, fundamentally altering the the Whole Foods model since they took over. So so it's exciting for that. Cool. Any other? I uh, got you off track there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any any other Walmart news? I think we got the big Walmart stuff. The other interesting Walmart one is this uh, kind of battle for supremacy in uh, Indian e-commerce, and Walmart is certainly one of the players uh, in that space. Yeah, you have kind of like four um, things kind of coalescing. So, so you have. Uh, we'll start with Amazon. So, Amazon is investing very heavily in India. They're building, you know, tens of fulfillment centers. Uh, so, I think the last number I saw was twenty to thirty, uh, and those are big and. Um, Interesting fact, there's a rule in India that uh, a non-domestic company can't be a retailer. Uh, So Amazon is all 3P in India, but the reason they're building fulfillment centers is they can still do FBA. So it's this really interesting kind of uh, uh, combination of what they can and can't do there. Um, So that's that's one that's kind of easy. Uh, And then there's two marketplaces. There's Flipkart and Snapdeal. And then the most most, uh, popular payment option is called Paytm. So uh, this is kind of how the the Battle of the Titans uh, for for India is shaping up, coalescing around Flipkart. SoftBank invested in that, uh, and then uh, there's a rumor that Walmart's going to invest. So that's kind of why this is in the Walmart section. Um, and then that rumor also says that the value the value is going to be at. Uh, uh, their last valuation was ten billion, so they're a decacorn. Uh, now they're going to be, I guess, a uh, buy decacorn. So this this article says that Walmart is going to give them a twenty billion dollar valuation, um, and then the other marketplace is called Snapdeal, uh, and that one is being supported by Alibaba. So so you have uh, some interesting things there. Uh, then Alibaba being so keen on payments with Alipay, uh, they are a very big investor in Paytm. So. You know, very interesting, and in I think uh, Tencent's in one of them as well, and and uh, eBay also is in in. I think they started in Snapdeal and then flipped over to Flipkart. Uh, it's kind of confusing to keep track of who's supporting which of these players, but you know, there's there's literally you know probably between what I just said, there's probably ten billion dollars going into the the Indian e-commerce market. So it, it is definitely a big battleground. Yeah, and the stakes are super high because the the market is only slightly smaller than China. Um, but there's way less e-commerce adoption right now than there is in China. And so there's a huge potential prize. And, you know, if you're someone like Amazon and you feel like you you waited too long to compete in China and you, you gave uh, Alibaba what at this point feels like an insurmountable lead, um, I think I think Amazon and, you know, the rest of the other big players don't want to do that in India. Absolutely. Cool. Another thing we've been talking about on the show is, uh, and this all got started with the rumors of Amazon investing in being able to deliver, uh, you know, effectively being an online pharmacy and being able to deliver drugs. Uh, a couple of interesting drug things that that I know you wanted to cover. Yeah. Uh, just today, I saw an announcement that Delive is launching a new service called Delive uh, RX. So uh, listeners may be familiar with Delive. They're a uh, a, a crowdsource delivery service that a bunch of retailers have used. Uh, Walmart uses them in addition to some other services. Uh, Target has piloted them. Um, and they're now uh, jumping into the home delivery of prescriptions. Um, as we've talked a little bit about this show in the past, uh, there's a lot of competition heating up for either mailing the prescription straight to your house or delivering the prescriptions to your house. And, uh, if you're one of the traditional drugstores, if you're CVS, Rite Aid, or Walgreens, Boots, um, 60% of your traffic is folks that walk in that store to pick up a prescription. And so the, you know, the people aren't going to your store to buy the, the stuff that's on your shelves. So they're going there to fill the prescriptions. If digital takes over and home delivery takes over, uh, those stores can't survive. And in general, the prescription side of those stores is growing and doing well. The retail side of those businesses is not doing particularly well. And so uh, like this has all the makings of digital being a huge disruptor and fundamentally changing that business. And that's, you know, a lot of us speculate that's why we've seen folks, uh, you know, some of the traditional drugstores like put more eggs in the in the insurance and uh, uh, 
pharmacy uh, basket and less in the retail basket as they're probably changing. Um, uh, and along with that, uh, we saw a, a CVS exec uh, change rules this week. So uh, Helena Folks, who is um, running the pharmacy business for CVS, has left CVS to take over as CEO of the Hudson Bay Company. So um, that's interesting for a couple of reasons. The The former CEO of Hudson Bay Company was this guy, Jerry Stork. He uh, used to run uh, Toys R Us, and originally he was part of the, the management team that helped really build Target. Um, Jerry abruptly left without a replacement being named. So, you know, there, nobody knows the whole story there. Um, but there was obviously some kind of falling out um, that happened there. And obviously, you know, uh, Hudson Bay Company is is in this, you know, uh, department store category that has a lot of headwinds and a lot of challenges it's facing. Um, and so interesting that they they hired a leader uh, that has no department store experience. And, you know, some would argue that that's a potential mistake. And some would argue that it's a it's an advantage that she doesn't have the encumbrances of of being, you know, tied to this old playbook that isn't working as well as it used to work. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah. Jerry's kind of famous for, um, he goes to these industry events and gives a talk and I've seen it like five times. It's the same talk. I don't think it's changed uh, at all. Just kind of switches out, you know, the Toys R Us logo for the, the Hudson Bay logo. Uh, and the whole crux of his talk is that, uh, e-commerce is stupid and that, uh, you know, store based, uh, uh, infrastructure is the way to go. So, uh, yeah. And when you say he uses the same presentation, you don't mean like a couple times in the same year. You mean like over the course of 15 years, he's continued to use the same presentation. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Like the same presentation. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be (laughs) fascinating to see where he shows up next and, and, uh, see if, 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 if his presentation can get more mileage. (laughs) Cool. Um, I know we're up against time, but you had some interesting insights on apparel. Um, and, uh, one thing I saw that was funny was the, in the conference call for their annual report, the Victoria's Secret CEO, uh, talked about, uh, went on a bit of a rant saying that they think that phones are going to be declined. Phone usage, smartphone usage is going to decline and everyone is going to go back to, uh, you know, really enjoying shopping in the mall. And there literally is no data that suggests that. So I, I, uh, Wanted to ask you, what do you think's going on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an awesome one. So, so Les uh, Wexner is like, you know, one of one of the storied merchants in the history of retail, and he, you know, he's he's kind of right up there with Mickey Drexler as as uh, one of these longtime guys that's made a lot of really good calls and built a really good business, um, but is the exact opposite of a digital native, right? And so he's he's doubling down on stores. Uh, hey, the smartphone is kind of a fad, but you know, for five thousand years, people have wanted to go to a store and buy something. So, in his mind, there's five thousand years of history on the side of uh, of his bet. Um, and I I may have uh, made some sarcastic tweets, but I would say there's also five thousand years history uh, of you know him uh, not taking antibiotics because for you know long the most of the last five thousand years those weren't available. And for sure, those stores over the last 5,000 years didn't take credit cards. So, you know, we'll probably see Victoria's Secret stop doing some of those things, too, since we're now using the 5,000-year the history as the guide. Uh, I might have been being a little overly sarcastic on that. Um, but <laughs> I think he's the last of this old guard. And, you know, presumably at, at, at some point his, his run is going to end. And, you know, I, it's pro- like, uh, I don't think stores are going away. I don't think it's a mistake to be investing in stores. Um, but the, the notion that digital and smartphones are a fad, uh, is, you know, uh, definitely a a risky, a risky bet to play at this point. Um, there, there were some other interesting articles this week, uh, like particularly talking about these endemic changes in the apparel business and how, how, um, much apparel has struggled, um, the crux of it is that we as consumers just need less apparel than we used to need because we used to have a work wardrobe and a casual wardrobe and largely the work wardrobe's gone away. So consumers just need half as many garments as they used to need. Um, and then, of course, the the garments have gotten a lot cheaper and a lot higher quality, so they last longer, they cost less. So, you know, buying half the garments costs way less than it used to cost. 
Um, and we're seeing less new fashion trends that force people to buy new garments to chase the latest trend. And there's this whole school of thought that in the modern era with all these micro-influencers um, you know, replacing the Mickey Drexlers and the Wes Wexners as um, as kind of uh, style leaders, uh, there there are a lot of little trends, kind of micro trends instead of one big trend. And so that doesn't drive a nationwide, we all have to get rid of the skinny jeans and go to bell bottoms or something like that. And so you add all that up and uh, whether you're a good apparel retailer, bad apparel retailer at the top of the market, bottom of the market, uh, the re- apparel is getting way less wallet share than it used to. Um, and uh, one of the things we've seen is uh, con- consumers are now spending more of their discretionary dollars on technology than they are apparel. And that, that you know, used to never be true. So, you know, people are buying the new iPhone every year and, you know, uh, keeping their jeans much longer. Interesting. Well, I know that I'm not going to get rid of my skinny jeans anytime soon. So forget the trends. Yeah, and that we're all grateful that this is a podcast as a result of that. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Well, we're up against time, but uh, it is getting close to the spring uh, kind of show show zone. So uh, I thought maybe you could update listeners on some of the shows coming up. And I think you speak twice at all of them. So so uh, let yeah. us know which ones you're speaking at too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be at a number of these shows. Uh, our, your and my exact schedule are still a little up in the air. You know, hopefully we'll be doing some podcasts from some of these shows. Um, but we want to make listeners aware of all of them in case you're you're making some plans to attend some of the industry events this this uh, season. Uh, so the first one up, the end of this month in uh, lovely Palm Desert, California, which is adjacent to Palm Springs, is the Etail West show. So that's February 26th through the 1st. I don't believe either of us are going to be able to make it there this year, um, but that's a great excuse to get out of the the winter um, for a lot of e-commerce folks. Um, and then there's a, a long-running retail uh, shopper marketing show in Chicago at the beginning of March called the Path to Purchase Summit. And this is all the sort of traditional retail marketers that are all kind of evolving to add digital to their playbooks. Um, so that's in my hometown of Chicago. I think there's a, uh, a rumor that you and I might both be there, uh, at the path to purchase summit, which is March 12th through the 14th in Chicago. Um, the following week is pretty crazy because in Las Vegas are two shows. This is the shop talk show. Um, so I'll be, uh, leading a panel on, on grocery e-commerce at shop talk. Um, and across the street from, uh, so the shop talk show is at the Venetian, um, down the street at the Mandalay Bay, IBM has their big, uh, sort of Watson artificial intelligence show, which has a a big commerce component. Um, IBM just launched a huge new version of their commerce platform called Webster Commerce 9, which is pretty interesting. And so, uh, shop talk is, March 18th through the 21st in Las Vegas, and IBM Think is March 19th through the 22nd in Las Vegas. So you can kind of attend both shows if you really want to. And then stay over the weekend because the next week, uh, March 25th through March 29th at the Venetian, is Adobe's big show, which is uh, another show I'll be at and that uh, tends to to have a lot of interesting commerce stuff. And of course, a, a ton of retailers use the Adobe marketing uh, suite and and in particular, uh, Adobe AEM as their, their content manager. So a lot of good e-commerce content there and usually some really good speakers, uh, uh, despite the fact that I'll, I'll probably be one of the speakers there. Um, and so if you survive March and you're still looking for more events, there's a couple more events on the horizon just to put on the end of your radar screen, uh, NPD, which is a market research firm that, that tracks a number of, of, uh, industries like consumer electronic sales, for example, have their big show, uh, NPD idea, uh, that's May 15th through the 17th in Austin, which is a great city to visit in May. And I know you've been one of the highest rated speakers, in the history of that show. And so I'll be looking to, to follow in your footsteps and, and carry on the, the Jason and Scott show torch it at this year's show. I'll be talking, I'll be leading a panel about the last mile in e-commerce delivery. And we've got some, some cool panelists. 
Um, yep. I'm, I'm at that one too. I'm uh, doing uh, Amazon talk. Uh, shocking that that's the yep. topic that you would you would pick. I feel like you need to stretch yourself a little bit sometime. Hey, if Jerry can do it, I can do it. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, just rounding out the season uh, in June, June 5th through the 7th, uh, is SAP's big show, which is SAP Sapphire. So they, they own the other big e-commerce platform, Hybris. So that's in Orlando. And I just want to give a shout out to my friends at SAP because SAP used to have their event the same time as Shop Talk and IBM, and it was super annoying. So uh, if nothing else, I just want to say I'm grateful to them for moving, moving their show to June. Very cool. One quick shout out before we wrap. Uh, uh, one of our uh, longtime listeners, and he was a guest on the show, Fazel, uh, who was the CMO at Staples, left and is now going to Google to run their drone division. Uh, and Fazel, if you're listening, once you get your your feet planted and uh, understand how the Google PR team works and how you go around them, we'd love to have you on the show. And even if you can't be on the show, if you need some private beta testers, we know some guys. Absolutely. We love pizza. Exactly. And uh, with that, it's happened again. We've used a perfectly good hour of our listeners' time. Uh, so if uh, you have any thoughts or comments about the show, we'd love to continue the conversation on Facebook. As always, uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, the biggest favor we can ask is for you to jump on to iTunes and give us that five-star review. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And also on iTunes, if you'll hit the subscribe button, that also helps us with our iTunes podcast SEO, which is super important. Exactly. Until next time, happy e-commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.